Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. I got traveling applause. Yeah, thank you for filling that awkward space. We're so glad if you're worshiping with us today in person or online. Uh, I'm Chip Fried, the lead teaching pastor here, if we haven't met. And we are talking about community today. And so grateful for uh, Caleb and Lalayan, the minister they do among us, reminding us that being the church, not just going to church, and nobody goes to church. The church isn't a building. Uh, it's a movement. It's something Jesus called out a community on. And to be that church is not just showing up you know, for an hour and a weekend, but how are we engaging with one another, building relationships, and through doing that, building the kingdom of God? And how do we go out? So people might think, Jesus, silly, you guys on taking out Krispy Kreme donuts. We did that a few years ago, and you would be amazed at the response we had from the community that we were thinking of them. You know, it's kind of, you know, when, when Sunday is Christmas Eve day, you know, we don't want to just have you come out in the morning and then, you know, come back to the Super Bowl at night, um, you know, where we pack out and everything. We, so we said, yeah, let's ground ourselves in devotion and carols that morning, but let's go out. Because we did this before, and on December 24th, people who have to work, they don't want to work. They have to work on those days. There's a lot of tedium. And, and just us being able to say, thank you, we see you, we care about you, it builds community. And this has been a theme that we've had um, as we're looking at this series from Ezra and Nehemiah on building in broken places. God does God's best work in broken places. And what happened was, as I shared last week, Israel had gone into exile in Babylon you can go rent the movie and watch my teaching on it. Uh, but, but Jewish scholars say it's amazing that Judaism even survived the exile because everything was so Jerusalem-centric. And when Nebuchadnezzar went in in 587 B.C. and literally destroyed Israel, burnt Jerusalem to the ground, destroyed the temple, took all the holy artifacts back to Babylon, deported the people into a foreign land to colonize them, Jewish scholars say it's amazing Judaism survived if it had not been for God who is a living God, who isn't stuck in a building, who isn't stuck in a denomination or a non-denomination. One of my non-denominational friends was making fun of me the other week, and I said, you know, there's no such thing as a non-denom. You guys are congregationalists. That's one of the oldest denominations ever lived, you know. But we, we tend to put ourselves, and I'm guilty of it, all of us, into these boxes. But aren't you God... Aren't you glad God shatters those things? We talked about that last week and rebuilds and builds us back to who we are called to be. And so when I first thought about Nehemiah before I went to seminary and everything, all I could remember was, you know, Israel was in bad shape. Jerusalem was torn down. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. It wasn't until 20 years ago when I came to this church, and, and this church, like so many, was in the midst of 30-year decline, and, and we talked about that last week with the disruption that's happening in the American church nationally and global, the global church. 
And, but God goes in and rebuilds. And so I started looking at this building project. I, may, I thought it was like a, an overnight fix because I'm an American. We fix everything in 30 seconds, right? Um, you know, fast food, fast this, whatever. Get on the smartphone. Uh, Pastor Terry used a word in, uh, in Heritage this week. That last service, I didn't understand it. So what I do? I just Google it and I got up and I waxed eloquently on it because uh, I had it in my pocket, right? But this wasn't an overnight fix. And it's not going to be an overnight fix in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our communities, except for people that will persist, persist in God's work. This was a hundred year building and rebuilding plan long before Nehemiah got to the walls. We looked last week that the first wave of exiles returned from Babylon led by Zerubbabel and they rebuilt the temple. And we talked about recentering our lives with God, putting worship at the beginning of our week and not the end, launching out into the world in worship. And we looked at all the dynamics of that as we recenter. I love our Quaker friends. I don't think I could go to their worship services. I, I know some friends of Quakers because um, it's all in silence. Can you imagine Chip Freeze sitting there for 45 minutes and saying nothing? My wife goes, oh, glory, hallelujah. Um, but, I, you know, but I love what they call worship. They call worship centering, right? And Israel began to recenter when God said, I'm the potter, you are the clay. Uh, and, and, he, and Jeremiah had that vision. You know, the first thing a potter does with clay, they have to center it. Because they don't center it, it's going to get out of whack. And, and that deformity will go into the ultimate vessel. So we talked about that centering. And today is the second wave, Ezra, this is before Nehemiah, Ezra come back, comes back and he begins to rebuild the community. What he's doing? Getting everybody back on the same page. What is our mission and purpose? And see, community building is probably the most important thing in our contemporary society, amen? I mean, we need to rebuild community. We got to get off this individualistic, and I'm going to talk about that, me, my, and I, right? Uh, my, my mentor, Dr. Gardner-Taylor said, I is always too small a pronoun to carry the gospel. We got to get back to we and us and our and, and those and them in need and others, right? Community building is so important, but you don't see it. It's, it's not rebuilding the temple. We, we talked last week. You can see it going up and erecting it. When we, you know, grew so much, we had to do this big building project here in 2012. It was like, you know, $3 million just showed up because you could see it. The building was going up, new children's theater and, you know, new lobby space and all this stuff. You could see it. But community building is, is more subtle. It's individual. It's people committed to it. It happens every day. That train leaves every day. Right? And, and so the work of building community and, and getting back into common mission together, it, it's more complex. And I want to say this to you, what Nehemiah was sharing to the people, he was reminding them who they were. He was reminding them how they got in them this mess in the first place. and was calling them back into the story, into the proper place that we have. And individuals, if you heard what Flora read, they, they worship God and they bow down their heads and, and when you bowed on your heads and they looked downward in, in the kind of this weeping aspect, they were doing self-introspection. Where have I broken community? 
I love G.K. Chesterton. He was one of my favorite authors in the London Times way back when was saying there was, it was after World War II and there's so much devastation in the world. And they said, G.K. Chesterton is this great theologian. Would you write an article about what's wrong with the world? And he wrote back a little note to the editor. He said, that's easy. I can tell you in two words. I am. What's wrong with the world? Me. I'm what's broken. And so I want to say this to you, that building community is always an inside job. Transformed people transform communities. Two Jacksons knew that. One named Jill and one named Michael. I'm the only guy that can quote Jill Jackson Miller and Michael Jackson the same sentence. Jill Jackson Miller you don't know as well as Michael, but both of them were musicians. Both of them had gone through struggles, as you know, family struggles, other things. Jill was back in the 1950s. She had come out of a very abusive relationship. She was suicidal. She talked about taking her life, but she said she found her way into a church altar and she experienced the life transforming peace and, and love of Jesus Christ. And she wrote a song that is still sung all over the world whenever there's community brokenness. You know it. Let there be peace on earth. And let it begin with me. Not with them. God, if you just fix them, the world would be okay. Doesn't sound like anything we hear these days, does it? God, if you just fix me. Fix me, right? Let there be peace on earth begin with me. And who can forget Michael who wrote that great anthem? I'm looking at... Man to mirror, man. I'm asking that guy to make a change. And the message couldn't have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, look at yourself and make that change, right? We forget those things. It's an inside job. And so Paul, who was a... Paul, who was full of himself, Paul, who knew the scriptures better than anybody, Paul, who knew who got to get in and who was out, Paul knew who the saved were and who the sinners were, and he'll kill them. Thank you very much, God. I'll do, you know, he was breathing violence. Saul, who was the ultimate individualist, I'm right with God. But he met Jesus. And Jesus said, Why are you persecuting me? He says, Lord, I, I don't even know who you are. How are you persecuting? How am I persecuting you? He says, when you persecute them, my kids, my people, made in my image, just because you don't agree with them, you are persecuting me. And Saul was blinded for all his knowledge until an outsider that he came to kill named Ananias walked in a room and laid hands on him. Didn't want to go, by the way. <laughs> Read your scripture. God said, no, you got to go to him too. And he laid hands on him and he called him, Brother, read the scripture, brother Saul. And Paul said something like scales fell from his eyes. And he became a community builder. Because what? Because he was transformed by Jesus on the inside. You can't, what did the Bible say? You can't say you love God who you can't see and hate your brother and sister who you do. We can't go out there and just be doing all these works, but inside holding all this enmity, transform people, transform communities. And I'm going to tell you, Paul's, uh, I'm going to read just a few verses of Philippians that I think may be the most challenging words for our day and may be the most important. Here's a transformed individualist who realized he is called to be an ambassador for the kingdom. And he writes these words. 
If then there's any encouragement in Christ, you know what Paul's saying? If you believe this gospel, if Easter encourages you, if Christmas encourages you, if prayer builds you up, if you believe that Jesus really is Lord, if if there's any encouragement in that, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of, let's do these together, same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That hurts somebody in here. That steps on my toes sometimes, right? Do nothing out of that. But in humility, regard others better than yourselves. Each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then Paul went into the greatest act of selflessness and putting others ahead of themselves in the history of the world. That Jesus, though he had equality with God, did not view that as something to be exalted, but humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant and became obedient even unto death on a cross to build up the world. And therefore, what do we sing? Let every other name pass away. That at the name of Jesus, the suffering servant, the one who gave it all away so that all of us might come into, into, into the freedom of Christ. Let that same mind be in you. What a different world this would be if that happened. Okay? Um, And so I want to look at uh, another passage. I'm going to preach more from this one for the next 15 or 20 minutes. What happened with Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra comes in. He called the people back together. He reminded them who they were. He talked about God's saving acts from Abraham to Moses to the Exodus to bringing them out of exile. And said, look, we were stiff-necked. That's what the word is. We were stiff-necked. But God, you are gracious. You are full of mercy. You never let us go. It was a town hall meeting. And so Jesus had his own town hall. You know, he, at John 8, if you read the whole chapter, I'd encourage you to go home and look at it. Jesus called the people together, just like Nehemiah, got up on the, you know, on the platform, had his own, uh, you know, calling out to the community. And he said these words. He said, he said to the Jewish people who believed in him and just saying those who knew the history, those who knew the calling from clear back, you know, to the beginning. He said, if you continue in my word, I'm going to talk about that word continue in a minute. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him. We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by seeing you'll be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is under sin, is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then all the church folks said to him, you're not even 50 years old. I just added that. I've heard of that. And you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, one of the most radical statements in the New Testament, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out 
from the temple grounds. See, Jesus said the reason we don't have the community we want, the reason we don't have the world we want, the reason you keep ending up with different pharaohs, whether in Egypt or Babylon, is because you're not really free. And, and, and this is really an, an important piece here. There's a false freedom that the world offers. And we're, we're pervaded of that under Western culture. We're pervaded by that. This started actually, I don't have enough time and I'll put you to sleep. Started in the Renaissance, went to the Enlightenment, came to modern society. That the image of freedom, you know what freedom is? It's the absence of restrictions. It's the absence of, you know, anything that would impede me from living the life that I want to live. That, that's the definition of freedom, okay? And it's a false sense of freedom. Um, there was one scholar that looked at, from Columbia, and he looked at, uh, he said in his teenage years, he looked at maybe becoming a born-again Christian, but he said, he went to the passage in John 3, where John said to, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born anew, born again. And he said when he read that, this is an intellectual smart guy, he said Jesus seemed to be telling Nicodemus that he was to recognize his insufficiency, turn his back on his autonomous happy life, and reborn as one who understands his dependence on something greater. Sounds like the gospel to me. Turn away from your autonomous life, you're thinking you're sufficient, and be reborn as one who understands you're dependent on something greater than you. But he said, that seems like a radical challenge to our freedom, and I could not accept it. See, because nobody tells me how to live my life. Nobody restricts me from gaining my own self-interest. I contrasted that to an article by a guy named, that interviewed a guy named Derek Hamilton, Derek Hamilton was an African-American man who spent, like too many, years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. 21 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And here's what he said about born-again life. He said, the day I walked out of that prison when I was exonerated, my wife, my nephew, and my son were in the car waiting for me. There was a church right around the corner. I always listened to the bells ringing when I was in prison. I didn't even know where the church was, but I would pray at that moment that God would hear my cries. And I was joined with the prayers of people who were praying for me outside. When I got out, the first thing I wanted to do was find that church. Just around the corner, I found it. I went into an empty sanctuary. I went up to the altar. I thanked God for my relief, release. And at that moment, it was like I was born again. So who's right? Accepting Jesus as Lord makes you a prisoner? Or does it finally make you free? See, here's the problem with that image of freedom. I am the captain of my faith. It doesn't even make any sense. It's, it's unworkable. You ever think about that? Right? Well, I, nobody tells me my desire. Have a heart condition. Have something go wrong. We got a lot of physicians in the house. You go to your doctor. And your doctor says, look, you're going to have to change your diet. You're going to have to give up these certain foods. And, you know, or you're going to not live a long life. And you jump off the table and say, I am the master of my fate, right? I decide what's right and wrong with me. No, you got to decide between different freedoms of, and choices. You know, do I want the sensory pleasure of eating these particular foods? Or do I want to live a longer life? 
What happens when your desires contradict? See, that image of freedom doesn't even make sense because that image of freedom is always based on, and Jesus was telling the people this, you think freedom is freedom from something. It's freedom from somebody or some agenda or some political part. Freedom. He said real freedom is freedom for. So remember that true freedom is not freedom from. It's freedom for. It's not freedom from God. It's freedom for God. That was the lie of creation. God gave us the gift of freedom. He gave us the gift of being able to not just be robots. We were created in God's image and God was free. And God shared that freedom with us. And that's why I said, we're the spirit of the Lord. There's freedom. If you go back to Genesis, God said, eat freely of everything I've created for you. Except that one thing. And what was the voice of evil that showed up? Oh, wait a minute. If you follow God's rules, you're going to be a prisoner. But if you do that, you'll be like God. See, he played right on that, that implication of the human heart. You know what the implication of the human heart is? Nobody tells me what to do. When I was a teenager, I remember this dearly. I was a slob. I, can, I still have it in me. Um, I was a slob. I'd never clean my room. I played college athletics. You know, I'd come home. And when my room, room became absolutely repugnant with the smell of all my athletic clothes... I would have this thing like, maybe I should clean my room. You know what would stop me from cleaning my room? My mom shouting upstairs, hey, Chip, your room's a mess. You need to clean it. I shall not. <laughs> that's, that's the heart. Heart says, nobody tell me what to do. There was this resort built in the Gulf of Mexico. I'll never forget. I was dealing with one of my friends who lives over there. And they built this resort and they had it out over the water, right? Like you're looking at your, out of your room and you look down as the water. And at the bottom, they had this beautiful five-star Michelin restaurant with all these domes. And somebody had the idea and said, oh my God, what if people start fishing from their rooms? So the first four floors, they put signs up. In each room, please, no fishing out of your windows. Guess what happened? You'd be sitting out for a dinner and a mackerel would go sliding up <laughs> the glass wall. And somebody said, how are we going to stop this? And some brilliant person on their marketing thing said, take the signs out of the rooms. The minute they did that, nobody fished anymore. See, the human heart says, don't tell me what to do. But that instinct in your human heart was placed there by God. Your creator that says there are some things you don't need to do. You're not in charge of your own life. You think you're in control, but you've heard me preach it. When you lose control, all you lost was the, the myth that you ever were in control. Get that next phone call, right? But don't you love what these people say to Jesus? Because he's implying when he said, you know, you'll know the truth if you do my way, if you hold fast to me. Live the life I'm dealing with. That word continue, hold fast, literally means live into it. Live into the way that God has created. But they said, look, at don't you love this? We are descendants of Abraham. Do you know my resume? Do you know where I went to school? Do you know who my father is? We never talk like that, right? Who are they talking to? They're talking to Jesus. Do you know who we are? I felt like Jesus said, um, do you know who I am? Like, you know, could I have that kind of thing? We've never been slaves to anyone. Watch this. The Holy Spirit hit me while I was preparing for this. We've never been slaves. These are the Hebrews. These are the Jewish people. These are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. Who's going to tell them? Were you here last week? When your children ask who we are, 
have them say we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but God let us out in the mighty hand. If you read that whole passage from Nehemiah, he's reminding them, look, you did it your way and you end up in slavery in Egypt. You did it your way and you ended up in Babylon, right? You, you're, you've, you, you've created this self-centeredness, which is a definition of sin that we're so into ourselves. It's me first. It's not others first. It's not God first. It's not love God and love neighbor. I got so many emails from something I said two weeks ago, and they're still coming in when I said, I can tell you in two sentences what's wrong with the world. We were built to serve God and serve others, but instead we chose to serve ourselves, and we use God, and we use others to get our own way, and that's what broke the world. Amen. Mic drop. See you later. Right? And that's what Nehemiah is saying. You, you broke it. Because you forgot what you were built for. You forgot whose you were, right? And, and you are into slavery to sin. But Jesus said, if you do it my way, you'll be free. Um, there is a way, right? When, what sin does, and we're not talking about sins. We're talking about the condition of sin. We forget we have a creator, right? You know, it's like if you get your car, right? All of us get owner's manual, and some of you smart people that can do everything to your car. I'm that guy that lifts the hood by the side of the road and goes like this. Yeah, maybe the carburetor, you know. Somebody comes over, state highway. What do you think it is? I think it's a hose. Okay, let's call AAA, right? But you, if you buy a car and you get an owner's manual, it says, the manufacturer says there's certain things you do to keep the car running, right? If you don't change the oil ever, the car is going to break down. It was not made that way. Now, I know Elon Musk and Silicon Valley are not going to like what I have to say, and they're, they're trying to correct this, but cars were not built for five-year-olds to drive. Now, maybe soon, I don't know, you know, maybe. But, you know, if I see a five-year-old driving a car, I know something bad is going to happen. It's going to be disintegration. Might be a tree, might be a house, God forbid, as a person, Right? Nehemiah and Jesus are saying, you're five-year-olds driving cars. You're, you're doing something you weren't designed to do. When God said, don't commit adultery and don't lie and forgive others. When he said these things, these are things that will build life. These are things that will build community. These are things that will build you up. And when you don't do those things, you start to disintegrate. And so does community. Just take forgiveness. If you don't forgive... It's going to lead to disintegration. Now, I can preach this, and you guys are going to act like holy people, but you know in your heart what I'm about to say is true. When somebody wrongs you and you don't forgive, it feels pretty good for a little bit. Doesn't it? Feels pretty good. Don't lie. Feels pretty good. Hate on them. Kind of wish some bad things will happen to them. But hold on to that. All right? Hold on to that. And unsettled anger in you can break your body down ulcers and colitis and other things. Unsettled anger in you can break relationships down, and they will. Unsettled anger in you, anger in you can destroy your ability to trust other people. What did Hebrews say? Let no seed of, of bitterness spring up in you because you've not addressed it and defile everybody, right? Break down community. When we don't forgive, we're not living in the image of our creator. And here's, here's the deal. Um, love, dis- love actually destroys self-centeredness. <clears throat> See, we were designed to love. When do you feel most free? 
when do all your, you know, all your wires come online when you feel love? But you know, you can't be independent and always get your own way and also be in love. Do you ever notice that? When I started dating my wife, the first night we met, we have not been apart since that, well, that night. But things changed in my life. I couldn't just say, well, look, I'm independent. I need too bad. You know, she's in Canton. I'm in Youngstown. I stalked her weekly. Um, you know, that was true. Um, anyhow, but it was like I ran my own business. I'd have to go out of town the weekend. I couldn't just fly to Atlanta and not call her and let her know. And the deeper that love grows, the less your independence is, the more you pour out into others seeking to f- support their needs and sacrificing your old needs. And here's something you can remember. Love itself destroys self-centered freedom. So if you want to be free, the way the world talks about it, you're going to have to limit the amount of love that you let into your life. And for us to live without love is like a fish living without water. And we do this too often, my friends. You know, we have this kind of need to be right all the time. And, and Jesus said, one of the things, I, this is a very complicated one. He says, um, he answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. Now, don't rip these biblical terms out of context. Slavery in scripture is nothing like the horrors of the African slave trade, nothing like the horrors of human trafficking and slavery today. Slavery in that day and age, it was conquerors of war and you ended up displaced in a country or you fell into debt or whatever and you became part of the household and you had a place in the household, but your place was based on performance. You actually earned wages. The wages went against your debt or you had the wages because you were new, you know, as a foreigner in exile of a conquered war. But you're, you were a butler in the household, right? You were a cook in the household. And Jesus said, too many of you religious folks are living like that. You're living like employees in the household of God. You think, I'll get religious. I'll follow the Bible. I'll give 10% of my money. I'll serve in the soup convention. And then God will love me. And then God will bless me. And then God will take me to heaven. And Jesus said, you are now a servant in the household. And God is your boss. But he's not your Abba. He's not your parent. He's not your divine parent. You're trying to earn God's favor. You're, you're trying to live in that, and that's, that's keeping you in sin. Now, it's maybe a step in the right direction, but you never know if you're finally living up, and you've always got to look at others to justify yourselves. But he said, the son, because I'm a son, and I've come to let you know that you are daughters and sons also, that you're not servants in the household, but you're members of the family of the household. That can set you free. And when he said... You know, they said, well, look, you're not even 50. You know Abraham? When he said before, Abraham was, I am. How many of you know that's bad grammar? He should have said what? Before Abraham was, I was. No. He said before Abraham was, I am. He said, I am the divine name of God. The name of God that was given to Moses at the burning bush. I am what I am. I am a blank check. I can be what you need me to be when you need me to be it. I am all things. I am life itself. I am creation itself. How can you be more free 
than to be the I am. But just as Jesus said, I am the I am that came and allowed myself to be nailed for you, to be captive for you. I am willing to give up that freedom, ultimate freedom, so that you can truly be free. And if you cling to that message, you'll know that you're not just a servant in the household of God. You're an heir of God. You're a son, you're a daughter, and that will make you free. And that will have you take your rightful place with your brothers and sisters in community. And you will love them and you will pour into them even when you disagree with them. Do you know, if if you have a boss and you don't perform, what will the boss do? He'll fire you. But what will your heavenly Abba do? He'll forgive you. That's what Nehemiah said. Man, we are stiff-necked. We turn left and right. But you, O God, are merciful. You are steadfast, and you simply won't let us go. And when you quit treating God as your boss and start understanding that God is your Abba, that was one of the most controversial things Jesus ever called God. Daddy, Papa, Mama, the intimate terms. That's how God is with you. Then you can experience freedom, and you won't be so self-centered because the I am God of the universe gave up everything humbled himself to save you. Let me close with this one story. There was a guy named John Fountain. He's an incredible journalist. Um, He was kind of a rags to riches story. And NPR interviewed him recently. He's teaching journalism in Chicago where he grew up. And they, they interviewed him personally and they said, okay, we know all your awards and New York Times and Pulitzer Prize and everything. What's the secret of your success? You know what he said? I'm sure they weren't ready for it. I went and got the transcript so I got right. He said, because I know my Abba. I I know who my Abba is. He said, not just that spirit in the sky that everybody talks about, but the God who embraced me when my dad disappeared from our lives. At the age of four, when my dad, the police led him down the stairs away from our front door in handcuffs. The God who warmed me when we could see our breath inside our freezing apartment, when the gas was disconnected in the dead of another wind-whipped Chicago winter and there was no food, little hope, and no hot water, the God who held my hand when I witnessed boys in my hood swallowed up by the elements, by death, by hopelessness, who claimed me when I felt like I was no person's child amid the absence of anyone to wrap their arms around me and tell me everything's going to be okay to speak proudly of me, to call me their son. I believe in Abba, God, my father embodied in Jesus Christ, the God who allowed me to feel his presence, whether by the warmth that filled my belly like hot chocolate on a cold afternoon or that voice that whenever I found myself telling myself I was nothing saying, no, you're my child, you're something, that I was his. And even amid the desertion, of the person who gave me his name and DNA and little else, I found in my heavenly father true life. And I realized that I was his, not his personally as God's child. Paul said it this way, so with us, I'm sorry, so with us, while we were in the minors, we weren't in the major leagues yet, we were trying to get there. We were enslaved to the spirits of this world But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son so we might receive adoption as children, not as part of the workforce. And because you are our children, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you are no longer a slave, but a son, but a daughter, but a child. When you can experience that, Jesus said, and know that truth, that will set you free from the prison of self-centeredness. One old Christian mystic said, God made birds, not bird cages. We put ourselves as prisoners out of our own spirit of selfishness. And when you're released from that, you'll be free to build community and build others up and think of them as more important of yourself because you have the only affirmation that will ever matter from your Abba who says, well done, I'm in love with you. So let's experience that freedom together. If, if you can do that, we want to say to you, happy Thanksgiving this week. We hope you have a blessed Thanksgiving. I know the holidays can be tough on people. And so we're praying for you, whatever situation you're in. But if you can experience this freedom in all things, we can give thanks. So from Terry, from myself, from our entire team, from Garfield Memorial Church, for those of you online, we just want to give you this little video to remind you that we're thinking of you in all circumstances, but more importantly, your Lord is. And for that, we can all give thanks. Amen.